Well, I think last week I preached probably the most important sermon since I've been here, at least for my soul. And that was on one verse. Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, foolishness, worthlessness. But in contrast, be filled and continuously being filled as a lifestyle, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You sort of get an idea of what kind of church Paul was writing to in Ephesians. Okay, guys, you're doing good if you get the first half down. Stop getting drunk. Christians, you, you often think that I need to pretend when I come to church and, and look like I'm doing everything right all week. When in reality, there are times that we struggle with some very obvious sins that the world struggles with. And there's some very dark sins that we struggle with in our hearts and, and sometimes in actuality. And, and to try to pretend to the church we're not struggling with drunkenness when we are, that, it's really foolishness. Because, again, there is a line in Christianity that says, once you're born again, once you believe Jesus is Lord, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, and then it's emphatic, shall not perish. John 5.24 has passed, that passed from judgment, has passed from judgment to life, but we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're going to go to heaven because Jesus is righteous. And he was the perfect sacrifice. And it was he that rose from the dead. It's his love. It's his faithfulness. It's his goodness. It's his mercies. We are 100% saved as a gift from God. And I am so glad Romans 11 says the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. God never takes them back. He never undoes them. Let me ask you plainly. Is salvation a gift that God gives us by having faith in his grace and his nature and his goodness, his love and mercy? Not of ourselves, not of our works. It's a gift of God. Is it true that God's nature is set that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable? 100% of us in heaven are not going to be going, praise me, praise me. Boy, I'm so glad that, you know, Jesus saved me and did 99% of it, but that 1%, I'm the one who got it across the finish line. Does anybody feel that way? Or is Jesus the author and the what? Finisher. He who began that good work, he will what? Finish it. You see, we have a good news. And that good news is we are saved by God's goodness and love and mercy. He's the one who came. Well, God's a just God. Yes, he is. That's why God just couldn't say, Ollie, Ollie, I'll come free. Everybody's forgiven. Here's the wand. Everybody's forgiven because I'm Santa Claus at the end. No, Jesus had to take our sins. He was 100% man. So he could be a substitute for man. 
but he was also 100% God. So what he did is eternal. So he had the ability to be a substitute for all sins ever committed on this planet. In the entire history before this thing melts away with the fervent heat. All sins were put upon him. And he paid for every sin. Do you understand that? People aren't going to hell because God's just. People are going to hell because they wouldn't by faith receive the gift of God, which was eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But, but, but what if they harden their hearts but the very last second they believe? Is that good enough? It is. The very first conversion we see on the cross was that very thing. Hard-hearted guys on their way to their own death, mocking Jesus. On a cross, mocking Jesus. And one of them says, hey, we're sinners. We deserve hanging up here. But this guy, John, take care of my mom. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He sensed it. That kindness of Christ includes me. Even though there's nothing I've ever done to deserve heaven. Jesus, Lord, when, not if, when you come into your kingdom. He believed Jesus was going to die and raise again. Remember me. Horrible prayer. I mean, I, I've never heard a pastor say, okay, let's pray the sinner's prayer and that be it. Even though that was a perfect sinner's prayer, wasn't it? But a lot of people think sinner prayers are necessary. We actually don't have that. It's just in your heart. That means you could be in a coma. <laughs> but yet you could hear with your heart the gospel and believe in your heart the moment you believe God writes your name in the book of life you shall not perish you have passed away from judgment into life but you shall have everlasting life it's a guaranteed thing why is that so important because we are now called to do what love God and if in any way we're loving God to gain salvation or to dot the I or to cross the T or to, you know, it's 99.99999% God, but there is a 0.00001% that I have to do. It, it, it totally changes Christianity. Christianity is no longer Christianity. It's like all other religions, man striving to be approved by God, to please God, and failing to please God. Because that's our sinful condition. So we can come to church and not have to say, okay, kids, don't tell them what I said last night. Kids, don't tell them that mom threw that thing at me. Kids, don't tell them that dad cussed. Don't tell them about the movie we let you watch. When we go to church, we don't... We don't share things like that because we all need to appear as if we are as righteous as God has made us righteous 
And none of us are. We have good weeks and bad weeks, good months, bad months, good years, bad years, good decades, bad decades. But even when we are out of faith completely and we become faithless, no faith left, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Isn't that amazing? And so we, we come to see that Paul can say to the church, some of you guys need ecstasy. You need, you need life to, to bring you joy. You need, you need a, a, a time of exuberance in your life. Our human nature gets bored and, and, gets, and gets down and, and, and the regular is the same as, as boredom. The regular is torture. And we need some exuberance, some ecstasy to get out of that torture of mundaneness. And so it does it 100% of the time when I drink. I feel, whoo, I feel good. Now, it sort of depends if you're a happy drunk or a mean drunk. <laughs> some mean drunks, come in. They, time they start getting a little tipsy, they're ready to fight somebody. And then you got the guy over there who's just crying, I love you so much, man. I know, no, you don't understand. I really love you, man. But everybody feeling a little tipsy is feeling that. And, and let's not try to cover up the fact that when the thousands of people showed up on the day of Pentecost, when those 120 in the upper room were filled with the Spirit, that was what they were certain they were observing. They were certain that the 120 people that were speaking in this unknown language, they, they were confident that they were drunk. And Peter's very first line out of his sermon, the very first Christian sermon ever preached, was the church isn't drunk as it looks. And I know it looks that way, but it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, let me preach a sermon as I've put that straight. So we struggle. And those struggles typically, whether it's porn or whether it's gambling or whether it's drugs or it's alcohol, it's trying to get us out of the mundane and get us exuberant, get us with ecstasy, get us feeling joyful and empowered, and, 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 and the unexpected can happen. And we need that. We all admit that, right? I, I admit it this year, football was sort of my drug. I, I've been watching every preseason game, doing about 45 minutes, but last night I tried to watch one more, Kansas City, which I really like watching right now. And I found myself going... I don't know. I'm not doing it. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? You're sort of depressed and happy as you head to the casino. You're sort of bored and depressed and happy and sad and bummed and all these emotions. And then you get there and ding, 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 lights and the flashing and it lasts for all 30 seconds. 
Yeah, we, we need, we need a spiritual uplift. We need it. So when we look at the Holy Spirit, and I didn't talk about this last week in detail, but the Holy Spirit's with everybody in the world. The guy sitting at home right now in his recliner, flipping through the channels and getting ready to watch the football games. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him about sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Not just that he's a sinner, but that God has a gift of righteousness. And he needs to make that decision because after we die, then comes judgment. And we have no idea when we're going to die. But then we see in John 20 where Jesus breathed on them. He was physically with them. Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my side. He was with them physically. Resurrected body, but a body. And he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the Holy Spirit, it's better I go away because the Holy Spirit that's with you shall be in you. And it was. But then they're like, let's go tell the world. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't go out yet. There's a promise of the Father. Remember JB, John the Baptist? Yeah, I'm baptizing you in water under repentance, but the one who's the Messiah will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And in Acts 1.5, Jesus says, guys, you can't go anywhere. You must stay here. He said it to 500 people, and 120 of them were left. Those 380 people didn't get it. They didn't think they needed it. They didn't th understand how important it was. To some degree, they trickled out until all there was was 120 left. And boy, I guarantee you, those 380 were kicking themselves until the day they died. But you can't leave, Jesus said. My Father has a promise for you. And you need the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then you can go out into the world. To the world, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the world will be evangelism. It won't just be your words. They'll be words empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mark 16 said signs and wonders would follow that as well by the Holy Spirit. Well, in the church, what about the church? What we learn here today in verse 19. In the church, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, to each other. We inspire worship in each other. People often say, let me quote this verse, singing to one another. He doesn't say that though, does it? He says you're speaking to one another, but it's so filled with the Spirit, it's poetry. It's musical. It's a melody. Do you remember that on the <laughs> Acts when they were filled with the Spirit in chapter 2? The Luke, a very precise writer, wrote the Gospel of Luke, a very long book to go through. He's a very detailed guy. He says, how do I describe this? Uh, well, he couldn't. He, he says it's like cloven tongues of fire. Does anybody know what cloven tongues? I've seen so many crazy pictures 
And I'm glad they're there. I'm glad people are attempting. But the bottom line was God's Holy Spirit works. It's unexplainable. It's something that happens. And when we try to tell somebody later, we're like, well, well, I, I can't explain it. But if I try to explain it, it's going to come out weird. <laughs> but it was a move of God. It was unexpected. And we can't really describe it. But it was amazing. And the world was affected by their ears willing to hear the gospel, a very detailed, in-depth, doctrinal message out of the book of Joel. A very hard passage to preach from. But yet, Peter did it. But now in the church, those who believe, it creates in us a melody from our heart that creates a deeper worship to God for everyone. Do you remember back in Acts when everybody heard them preaching in his own language? It says there that they heard them speaking the amazing wonders of God. In Acts chapter 2.11, page 2 in your notes there at the top. And we do hear them speak in our tongues. Everybody, it's like, this guy's speaking French. No, he's not. He's speaking German. No, he's not. He's speaking Arab. No, he's not. He's speaking. They all heard as if he was speaking in their language the wonderful works of God. I'm hearing God worshiped in a way I've never heard God worshiped. And it's causing me to be amazed and, and see God beautifully. See God wonderfully. It's creating a thirst in me. It's creating a hunger in me. It's creating a passion in me. And I must know what meaneth this. <laughs> well, let me tell you guys, it was prophesied in Joel that in the latter days, the resurrection of Christ until the end, they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Who? Everyone, the young, the old, the slave, the free, the men, the women, the Jews, the Gentiles, they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's go back and meditate on this a moment. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit's coming. So, what's that mean? The works I do, you'll do in greater works. Okay. He's going to take everything of mine and tell you. Okay. He's going to comfort you. Okay. He's going to encourage you. Okay. But then on the day of Pentecost, what do they discover? That the Holy Spirit is constantly bringing the unexpected. We can't predict what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And we will all marvel when the Holy Spirit is in it. Shortly thereafter, Peter's walking down the street and he's like, what is everybody doing? Every time they put a sick person on your shadow, Peter, they're healed. You're kidding. Let me get over in the sun here. Okay, I'll just stand here for a while. You're kidding. Paul... Has anybody seen my sweat rags? I keep running out of them. About a whole stack of them, they're all gone. What happened? Well, Paul, 
after you sweat on them, people steal them and they travel hundreds of miles away and they lay them on sick people and they're healed. Really? Wow, I should sweat more often. Let's go get a whole bunch of more of those, man. Leave them all over the place. Wow. Who predicted this? Who saw this? This is sort of strange. What do you got there? Oh, it's a rag that Paul sweat on. What are you doing over there? I'm standing in Peter's shadow. Tabitha, Dorcas. They raised her from the dead because she made really good quilts. And the Lord raised her from the dead. Boy, it was unpredictable. What do they say when you read the book of Acts? 99% of it wouldn't happen if the Holy Spirit didn't do it. But in the church today, we can do 99% of what we do if the Holy Spirit's not present. Sort of like Samson. We show up to church and the Holy Spirit has departed and we knew it not. Has that happened? Now we might hear the command, be filled with the Spirit and say, that would make a good church better. That would make a strong Christian stronger. But we had no idea that the command for these guys to be filled with the Spirit was life and death for the church of Ephesus. Romans 5 says, when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, that the love of God is shed abroad. Jesus said, this is eternal life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The love of God shed abroad by the Holy Spirit helping us to love God rather than ourselves. I can tell you the darkest times in my life is when I was focused on earth stuff so great. There was a number of years, it was pain, trying to get rid of the pain from my knee surgeries. I think there was other times, I know when I was dating Cheryl in college, she became my God and she broke up with me. I got so hurt and so mad and then I realized she was right. <laughs> she's lovely, but she's not as good as God. I think there's other things that have caused me to not love God and seek his kingdom first. And the Holy Spirit was in me for salvation, but not empowering me. But yet, I could still preach pretty good sermons. And yet, I could still tell people about Christ. And yet, I can tell you there's a difference. I'll explain it. I can't. But there's a difference. But in Revelation, the very first church Jesus speaks about is the church of Ephesus. And he says, I'm getting ready to pull the plug and shut the church down. It's no longer going to exist. One of the most notable Roman cities, one of the greatest cities of the greatest population. And God says, I would rather have no representation of Christianity than to have one without love. To have one without the working of the Spirit. Have you ever been into a dead church? It's, it's worse than a funeral. The music and the organs, the piano, or the, it's playing. It can be very vibrant. But yet there's a deadness in the souls. And the Spirit of God is not working in the midst of it. Have any of you guys raised your hand? I would like to know. Have you guys been to a dead church before? 
Is, is that Dutch church here today? I hope not. I'll tell you what. This verse has transformed my life. There were things, some things I had to stop doing. There were some things I needed to start doing. Most of all, desiring the power of the Spirit. But in the church, there's an exuberance. There's an ecstasy. And, and we're truly excited about this verse. We're truly excited about this song. We're truly excited about this attribute of God. And, and I, I want to try to explain it to you, what God is doing in my life this week. I want to share with you and have you have the moment God had with me as I read this verse. And to think that we can be Christians without that excitement for the Lord, it's just untrue. Church will be just become familiar. The Bible will become boring. Worship will become stale. Praying, it's almost useless. It's without faith. The Holy Spirit gives life to our flesh. Without the working of the Holy Spirit, all Christian duties, which we power out sometimes, I'd say I force myself to go to church sometimes, force myself to pray sometimes, force myself to read the Bible sometimes. I hate that, but it's necessary, isn't it? We just got to power through it. We got to work. It's work. And we've we got to build up our inner man. But it can't stay there, can it? That's not, it can't be there and that's all that ever is until the day you die. We need moments of being filled with the Spirit. And when that happens, it's in our hearts a melody. And it's psalms, it's hymns, it's spiritual songs. The word psalm literally means strings, picking, picking strings. The word hymns, it, it literally means doctrinal, sharing doctrine. But the doctrine is musical. And songs, actually, it just literally means to la, 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 la. <laughs> it, just, it just means to re- say something and turn it into a song like a child would do in the it just sat there and create a song. La, 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 I like my truck and I like my bananas. It's, it's that. <laughs> just, oh, gee, you, you're singing the verse God's put into your heart. You're, you're praying, but it's coming out singing. Lord, bless the church, especially Pastor Brian. Help him preach shorter, please. Not so long next week. I get It's something that's truly from the heart. Paul tells the Colossian church the same thing. He describes it this way in Colossians 3, verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, how? Richly, in all wisdom. Do you you hear Paul? He's filled with the Spirit. (laughs) He's exuberant. He's, he's saying, man, the Holy Spirit works and, and there's a time of the word of God. And, oh, it's so richly in your heart and, and I just have so much wisdom. I can't even say it all. I can't write it all. I can't speak it all. It's just, it's just flowing to God's word. I have such insight into the spiritual world and wisdom for people, for their marriages and their, 
their, their lives and words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecies, tongues, interpretation of tongues, gifts of faith and wisdom. Oh, the word of God. It's just, I can't explain it to you. All different types of wisdom. And then I got to tell people, teaching, admonishing, correcting, if you would, or encouraging, exhorting to obey one another. It's not the pastor teaching. It's everybody just sharing. Let me tell you what this is. Let me tell you what that says. I, I can tell you there are a couple of the most greatest insights I know in the scripture today were from people that were two weeks in the Lord. They're like, man, have you ever seen this verse before? And I'm like, yeah, of course I know that verse. But it's saying this to me. I'm like, I've never seen that. That's, that changes my life. That's revelation. It wasn't some old pastor who had pastored 60 years. It was a brand new believer. So this is what we see. The Holy Spirit can, can give wisdom and teaching and encouragement to obey. And it's musical again. In, Psalm, in Colossians 3, he says the same thing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This time he says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's the singing part. But it's not singing to one another. It's singing, just you can't stop the flow. And that was the day of Pentecost. They couldn't stop it. The Holy Spirit was moving and they all started speaking and they couldn't come up with human words quick enough. And all of a sudden they started speaking in an utterance that nobody could understand, but yet everybody understood it. The tongues of angels, the tongues of the Spirit, with groanings too deep for words, but yet they had the gift of interpretation. Everybody who heard it had the gift to interpret those tongues and hearing the marvelous words of God. He finishes up there in Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything you do. I'll just talk about my personal experience with the Jesus movement. There was just a clarity about Jesus. We truly loved Jesus. When we woke up and said, good morning, Jesus, we meant it. He was with us and we were with him. And, and we, we didn't feel separated from him. We just sensed his joy and his power and his presence every second of every day. And we loved being with him and we knew he loved being with us. And when worship came, everybody was just singing to Jesus knowing it was pleasing the Father that we were glorifying the Son, lifting up Jesus above every name that is named. We were lifting up Jesus first above all. That was the Father's desire in his glory that we would glorify the Son's name above all names. We would get to church an hour, two hours early to share a song that we had written or one that had been sung to learn, to learn it to sit around and sing and worship in little groups, pray with each other, everybody sharing the verses that everybody else shared. It would take a couple of hours and then we'd be at the Bible study and then after the Bible study, I mean, every time Chuck would teach, it'd be an hour and a half and Chuck's like, well, we're gonna end here now. And everybody's like, oh, please, I beg of you, just five more minutes, 10 more minutes, another half an hour, please. It, it, it was never, it was never like, thank. God, hour and a half, what in the world was he thinking? It was never that. 
In the first decade I preached, that's the way it was. I'd preach an hour and five minutes and people would like, if you're going to preach that short, I, I don't know. I'm just not getting fed. Can you at least go an hour and a half? It, it was just the way, there was just a hunger for the Lord. There was a worship in our spirit wanting to sing to Jesus, love Jesus, tell people about Jesus. And we couldn't get enough of the Bible. We just couldn't set it down. We just would set it down. We'd pick it right back up and just read it. And God was just, oh, just speaking in our hearts so deeply. A melody in our hearts, a singing in our hearts to the Lord. This is what happens when we're filled with the Spirit in the church. We become God worshipers and we help everybody else become God worshipers. We are God lovers and it's infectious. We've got the measles and everybody else gets the measles. Chuck used to always say that. You can't give the measles unless you have the measles. But we were infectious. It's like, my goodness, I've read my Bible and it's not exciting at all. I gotta try this again. Let me pray for you. Lord, just pour your spirit upon this person. Fill him up again and again and again. And, and when he goes to the scripture, let your Holy Spirit through exuberance and ecstasy and all wisdom be poured out into his soul. This is what heaven's going to be like, guys. It should be now in the church. We see it in the church in heaven. Revelation 5, read with me there, verses 11 through 13. In Revelation 5, verse 11 through 13. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures, the elders, and here you guys are, the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. That's us. A lot of believers. Saying with a loud voice. They weren't bashful, were they? All the believers at the top of their souls. Spurgeon used to say, you'll know I'm in heaven because one, I'll be the least of the brethren. I'll be the last row but you'll know I'm there because I'll be singing the loudest. This seems to be the spirit in verse 12 there of Revelation 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And you can just sort of sense an infiniteness there, right? About a more, another billion years. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that is in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Ah, to the lion of the tribe of Judah, to the lamb as though he had been slain, the son of God, Jesus, our brother, who forever will live in human flesh, resurrected human flesh, but God, the second person of the Trinity, will live in human flesh forever to be our brethren scars forever upon his hands and upon his brow. And the Spirit is here to do that. Jesus said the Spirit, John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. He'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. It'll be right from me, but through the Holy Spirit, a joy, a glory, a worship, We'll allow to be seek the God as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, verse 20, 
giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks, a thankful heart. What's the opposite of a thankful heart? A complaining heart, a murmuring heart, right? The children of Israel eating manna, bread right from heaven, getting water out of a rock. And we know that rock was Christ. They were drinking right from Jesus. And they were complaining about it. Isn't that crazy? They were murmuring and complaining about it after getting such wonderful things from God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. Not for everything, but in everything. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore by him let us continue to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips and giving thanks to his name. To God the Father. We, we're, the Lord our God is one Lord. We have one God. But we are giving thanks to the Father. Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us such a wonderful gift. Jesus, thank you for having such joy going to the cross. But it's this joy, this thanksgiving is to the Father in the name, through the nature, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said earlier in Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I will bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my heart was full this morning. I can tell you it's just been an amazing experience seeking, praying, begging, fighting, wrestling, saying, God, I want to be the person filled and overflowing with your spirit. The next verse, submitting to one another in the fear of God, it can, I was going to teach on it twice. I was going to teach on it at the end of here. There's a beautiful, humble, spirit, a team spirit, a spirit yielded to one another. But it also very much ties into the next passage, which is one of the best sermons in the whole Bible. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. (laughs) Can't wait for that one. The next one, love your wife as your own body. That's not so much. But uh, it's interesting that we will have this being taught. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Children, submit to your parents. Employers, employees, submit to your employers. Employers, submit to God, because you're going to have to give an account running that business and overseeing those people. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. And Spurgeon said, just get a guy on fire for the Lord and put him in the pulpit and everybody can just watch him burn. Lord, I pray today that the burning that I sense of wanting more of you, wanting more of your love, to encourage one another to be greater worshipers of you, greater seekers of you, greater witnesses of you. And when I go out of the world to have a greater power of your spirit to reach the unbelieving world, the hard-hearted world. Lord, all I can ask right here, whatever you make, Calvary Chapel, Los Alamitos, Let us be filled with your spirit that you would have no such thing against us that we're lukewarm or that we've left our first love or any any other thing, but that we are people just seeking you with passion, loving you with passion, having always a melody in our heart to you, O God, in Jesus' name.
And everyone said, Amen, Amen.